Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Now, I, uh, I had some of these left over. We passed these out in our first service. These are stress balls as emoticons. Now, it doesn't get any better than this. So I need someone who is feeling very happy today and, and has a smile on their face. Anybody? All right. I need someone who's got a, a little feeling a little sad, might need to, uh, oh, I see a hand back there. This is for those times when you feel a little sad, you got a little tear, you can squeeze that. Okay. Who needs one? Feeling a little frustrated today. There we go. All right. Anybody, uh, anybody feeling like this guy this morning and want to admit it? Who? <laughs> Here we go. Cindy. Cindy's got the whole neck brace on. She's got to have one of these. You're welcome. Squeeze on that, will you? And you'll feel better. <laughs> and there's one more. One more. One more. Oh, there we go. There you go, Rhonda. You're welcome. All right, well, we had to have a little fun with that. Besides, as we all know, my sermons in and of themselves get stressful. People, we should probably give them out to the whole crowd. Let's look at Exodus 50, now that you're opened up to it. We're going to read verses 15 to 21. Also, peek inside your uh, program this morning. Inside, you'll find a white half sheet called the Crosswalk Notes. And uh, you can pull those out. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So last week I was... uh, on a plane, and I headed to a meeting. I, I happened to have been uh, invited to sit on a board of regents for Wisconsin Lutheran College, a great college, by the way. If you, if you have uh, kids that you're thinking about sending them to college, this college in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, is a phenomenal Christian college, and I'm honored to serve on the, on the board of this college. But I'm on the plane, and I'm flipping through the flight magazine. And here we go, the long-term effects of short-term emotions. And I'm thinking, you know, the next message that I'm going to be, to be speaking about is uh, about getting control and overriding, as you can see from your crosswalk notes, overriding your emotions. And this article has a really interesting first paragraph. Now listen especially to this first sentence. The heat of the moment is a powerful, dangerous 
thing. The heat of the moment is a powerful, dangerous thing. We all know this. If we're happy, we may, in the heat of the moment, be overly generous. Maybe we leave a big tip or buy a boat. On the other hand, if we're irritated in the heat of the moment, we may snap. Maybe we rifle off that nasty email to the boss or punch someone. And for that fleeting second, we feel great. But the regret and the consequences of that decision may last years, a whole career, or even a lifetime. Now, here's the really interesting thing about this article. This is not just any article. This is an article that was written by a researcher who is the Duke Professor of Behavioral Economics at Duke University, written for the Harvard Business Review. Gentleman who did a lot of research into the whole topic of heat of the moment decisions. Now, we've, we've all been there in the heat of the moment. And, and in that moment, we can do some either amazing things. You've, you've heard about heat of the moment situations where people have adrenaline flow and, and they lift cars off of people, uh, feats of strength that you would never imagine a person could do. But in the heat of the moment with all the adrenaline flow, they do surprising, almost miraculous things. And then you've heard about the opposite too, haven't you? Maybe you've been there. I know I have, where in the heat of the moment, we do something really, really dumb, really, really foolish. What, here's what I want to teach you about this morning. I want to teach you about in that moment, in that heat of the moment, what is the one most important thing that you can learn to do? What's the one critical thing that more than anything else will help you when you're faced with a heat of the moment, emotion-laden situation that is driving a decision in your life? And we're going to talk about that on the basis of, of this text. And here's the thing that the article says. In the article, it says, recklessly poor emotional decisions. And you can write this down. In your crosswalk notes, I left you a blank for it. Recklessly poor emotional decisions become the blueprint for making future decisions, guiding us even in our rational moments. What this researcher discovered is that once you and I make a decision in an emotional moment, that that literally predisposes us to make a like decision in the future when faced with similar circumstances. Because often when we make a heat of the moment decision, what happens is we want, we want to support that decision later on. We don't want to back off of it or, or, or feel like we made a, a poor decision in an emotional moment. And so even after the emotion of the moment fades, even when we're back to our rational self, guess what? According to the research you're still going to continue to make similar decisions because your brain has already formed a pathway. Now, isn't that kind of scary? Because if we make a very unwise, foolish, dumb, or even sinful decision in a heat-of-the-moment situation, what that means is it's very, very likely we're going to keep on making that same 
decision again and again and again. How do you avoid that? And not only how do you avoid that, but what if you've already done that? And now you're looking back today and saying, wow, how do I change that? How do I get to the point where I don't have to let foolish heat of the moment decisions rule my life that I can actually change things and impact things? God tells us there's something that we can do about this. And he starts, and I want you to open up your crosswalk notes, by identifying what the real danger is in heat-of-the-moment decisions. He's saying there is a chemistry between heat-of-the-moment and something called our sinful natures. Now, your sinful nature is something that you have, I have, we all have. It's something that never leaves us in this life. It only goes away once we're in heaven, after death. And so realize that every day of your life, when you wake up, as you pass through your day, you're faced with what the Bible calls the sinful flesh, the old Adam, the sin nature, whatever you want to call it. And that internal sort of spiritual saboteur is constantly trying to drag you back into sin. On the very first Sunday of this series, we talked uh, about a passage in Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22, that talks about the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to come back to that passage at the end of today's message. But right before that passage, immediately previous to that passage in Galatians 5, Paul talks not about the fruits of the Spirit, but about the acts of the sinful nature. Now, look inside your crosswalk notes, because I put this in here. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Look at what the Holy Spirit inspires the, the Apostle Paul to write here. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, keep, keep that up there. What do, you, what do you notice when you look at that list? What are the two times when we are most tempted to fall into these things? Number one, when we're under a lot of pressure in life. And things are going on, and we just need some sort of relief valve. You know what debauchery is? It's a big, hairy word for partying. Why do people party? Got to get rid of, the, rid of the, the, the pressure somehow. You know what's the second time? Heat of the moment. A situation is placed before you. You have moments to decide whether to act on it, and in the heat of the moment... These particular things that Paul lists here in Galatians 5, 19 to 21, we are highly susceptible to them. And here's the thing that we need to learn. We can learn it from the Harvard Business Review. We can learn it better from the Bible. The thing that we need to learn is that short-term emotions can have long-term spiritual impact in our lives. Short-term emotional decisions can impact us spiritually 
for a very, very, very long time. How long? Well, certainly, as the Harvard Business Review would say, it might affect the next decision and the next and for days and weeks and years. But take a look at this story from Genesis. Let's go back to the story of Joseph, because that tells us, for one thing, how long it might go on, how long the consequences of a heat of the moment decision might last. You know, when when we're reading in Genesis 50, that this is the end of a 39-year saga, a 39-year saga between Joseph and his brothers. 39 years previous to what we read in Genesis 50, Joseph's brothers were envious and jealous of him. And so they decide that they're going to kill him. They can't stand him anymore. He's daddy's favorite, and he always gets all the best stuff, and we're sick of this. Let's get rid of this kid. And so Joseph's brothers, huge crowd of brothers, get together and say, let's murder him. We'll, we'll take his, his clothing back to dad and we'll say an animal killed him. And in the last moment, the eldest brother, Reuben, comes to his senses and he says, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into a cistern, a, a, a pit that was using, used for storing water. They do this. And while they're sitting down to a meal with Joseph probably crying out, let me out of here. A band of a caravan of traders comes along and they end up, again, heat of the moment decision because they're angry and envious. They sell Joseph to these traders and off Joseph goes on these camels into Egypt and thus begins Joseph up and down life. You may or may not know the story of Joseph's life, but it is, it is a huge roller coaster. He's sold as a slave to a guy named Potiphar, a, a captain in Pharaoh's army. Uh, Potiphar's wife, he he becomes the the head of Potiphar's estate. Potiphar's wife accuses him of trying to rape her. So then he's thrown back into prison. He kind of becomes the head uh, guy in the prison. And he begs two officials of the king to, to think about him and to let him out. And he sits there and he rots in this Egyptian prison for two plus years. Two plus years even though he's completely, completely innocent. And then one day, the Pharaoh has a dream. And one of those officials of Pharaoh remembers that Joseph knows how to interpret dreams, and he's called out, and he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And imagine even this. This sounds good, but imagine the pressure. In one day, he goes from being a prisoner to being prime minister of Egypt. Now, that's a great elevation, but they're headed into a huge famine, and now it's all on Joseph to make sure that this famine does not harm the people of Egypt. This is Joseph's life. Now, many years later, the brothers have come to Egypt, right? And when we open to Genesis chapter 50, guess what? They're still, 39 years later, feeling the guilt, the shame, the embarrassment over what they did in that heat of the moment, putting their brother Joseph through all this stuff. Joseph has reconciled to them. 
And it's actually been some years since they were reconciled. But now look at Genesis 50 again. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? You see, they're still thinking payback is coming. 39 years later, talk about long-term spiritual consequences for short-term emotional decisions. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. Now, we don't know if this was a lie to try to placate Joseph or, or whether it was really the truth. Maybe, maybe Jacob had said this. Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. We'll talk about why he wept in just a moment. Now, they send this message in to Joseph. But even that isn't enough to placate their consciences. Their consciousness that have been haunting them and haunting them for 39 years. Look what comes next. His brothers then came. And what do they do? They throw themselves down before Joseph and they say, dude, here we are. We are your slaves. We don't even deserve to be called your brothers anymore. Just make us slaves, but let us live. Do you think that there were not some long-term consequences for those brothers for their very short-term, heat-of-the-moment, emotional decision to sell Joseph into slavery? Huge. And many of us are going through those ourselves. We can think back of some, some really not-so-sweet decisions we made in the heat of the moment, that we may be feeling guilty and ashamed of many, many, many years later. Now that's bad enough. But now go back and look at what it says in Galatians. Because when I say long-term consequences, that isn't even the end of it. Look at what the last sentence says in Galatians 5, 19 to 21 in your crosswalk notes. I warn you, as I did before, Paul writes, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that is long-term consequence. It's eternal consequence. It's saying that if, if the chemistry of our sinful nature gets together with a heat-of-the-moment decision, and we come out of that with a sinful decision, and we keep practicing that, Paul says, and we live emotionally heat-of-the-moment driven by our sinful nature and not by the Spirit, we are headed for eternal consequences. We will not, Paul says, inherit the kingdom of God. So here's our first point. It's so critical for us to understand this as we try to grab hold of what's this, what's this one most important thing we can do in the heat of the moment. First, let's be honest and let's be authentic and let's realize where this sinful nature can drive us. And, and here's the first point. Short-term emotional decisions have long-term 
spiritual consequences. Keep that in mind. Even, and you can write this in if you want, even eternal consequences. Now, remember that first line from the article that I read you? Remember what it said? I'll quote it again. The heat of the moment is a powerful, dangerous thing. When you have a powerful, dangerous thing, you need powerful therapy to go with it, right? We've been watching the Olympics lately. I love watching Lindsey Vaughn. You watch her go down that hill, and man, the power and the speed behind some of those alpine ski runs, phenomenal. You watch their knees battering. They say that the course is exceptionally bumpy. Amazing, amazing stuff. And if you've seen any of them take a fall, you know just how fast and how powerful those runs are. Now, you probably also know about Lindsey Vaughn that right before the Olympics started, what happened? She injured her shin. And because she knew that she was going into a powerful, dangerous situation, she knew that she had to have some powerful therapy on that shin Otherwise, she wasn't going to be able to compete in the Olympics. She tried many things. Massage, stretching, there's laser therapy. And she tried Austrian curd cheese. Now, if any of you are from Wisconsin, you know that cheese is the most powerful force in the universe after God. So I'm thinking that that probably was the thing beyond the lasers that really helped. you got to have powerful therapy. And, and when it says that, that we're going to be in some powerfully dangerous situations, heat of the moment, we've we got to know what our powerful therapy is to deal with those powerful heat of the moment uh, situations. So will you write that in your crosswalk notes? Powerful danger requires powerful therapy. And know this, you and I, we are engaged in an Olympic battle When it comes to our spirits and our eternities, make no mistake about it. This is an Olympic battle, and we need to have that powerful therapy. So do you know what our therapy is? No, it's not curd cheese. Our therapy is the same therapy that Joseph and many others used when they were in these powerful heat-of-the-moment situations. They were able to do something that you and I often do not do. I know I often do not do. It's actually kind of the opposite of what we frequently do. When you're in a heat-of-the-moment situation, if you're anything like me, you tend to scope down and, and look at all the little things that are attractive about making maybe a poor decision, right? Right? Just, just put yourself at the, uh, in the aisle at the grocery market, right? You got, we'll, we'll call that a, a minor heat of the moment decision. And there's that stuff as you're going through checkout, and you see that Snickers bar, right? Oh, I love Snickers bars. And all I can do is scope down and think about the creamy caramel and the nougat that's in there. And I'm thinking, oh, man, right? You know what's interesting? 
about what Joseph does? He does the exact opposite. He doesn't scope down and start counting all the things that say, I should do this. He pushes the pause button, click. And he expands that moment of decision. And as he's expanding that moment of decision, he pushes the zoom button and zooms out, not in. Just the opposite. And as he zooms out, guess what he sees? He sees God's plan for his life. He sees that he's part part of a bigger thing. Part of a plan, part of a universe that God has created, that he has a role to play in that plan, and that God has actually been working everything, all these decisions that his brothers have made, the decisions that he has made as a result, and he backs out of that. And and guess what? This, This is exactly what many of the great men and women of the Bible were able to do. Click in the heat of the moment, pause. Let me think about this. Boom, zoom out. What is God's bigger plan? Right? Take your crosswalk notes. There's an Old Testament prophet named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is treated very poorly as a prophet because the children of Israel during the time period where he is their prophet, they are way off track. They have made one heat of the moment poor decision after another. And now Jeremiah comes along from God with a message and an announcement from God saying, guys, cut this out. You're headed down a sinful, rebellious road away from me. It's going to lead you into exile. I'm going to have to send you to time out, not a short-term time out, 70 years in the land of Babylon if you don't get this right. And of course, that's not a highly popular message. Not at all. So Jeremiah gets thrown in a cistern, just like Joseph was. Jeremiah gets arrested. And guess what? Even at the end of his life, it doesn't really turn out all that great. The last thing we hear about Jeremiah is that instead of getting to go with the children of Israel, which is what he wanted to do, into exile in Babylon, he gets carted off the other direction to Egypt against his will. In this life, it doesn't even end well for Joseph. For for Jeremiah. But guess what Jeremiah knew? (laughs) Jeremiah knew that God had a bigger plan than this life. Jeremiah knows that God has an eternal plan that involves that even if this life doesn't turn out so peachy, even in the end, guess what? There is an eternity waiting for me, bought for for me by my Savior. Take a look at Jeremiah. Look at what he says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me. This is God speaking to Jeremiah and the children of Israel. Then you will call upon me, God says, and you'll come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. 
What a promise. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And we'll bring you back from captivity. I'll bring you back from time out after 70 years. That's my promise. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. I have a plan, God says. And it's an eternal plan, but it also has ramifications here. Yes, I'm sending you into time out, but after 70 years, I will bring you back. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you and you and you and you and you a hope and a future. Isn't that awesome? To know that what God said to Jeremiah and the children of Israel, right in the midst of all their rebellion and sin, I know the plans I have for you. And now go back to Genesis 50 and see if Joseph didn't know the same thing. Because what does he say? What does he say to his brothers? Shocking what he says. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it. And that Hebrew word means planned it. God intended it, planned it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them. And spoke kindly to them. Here's our second point. Joseph was healed. Jeremiah was healed. You and I are healed. When we know that God has an eternal plan. That he is working. In his universe. And in your life. And in my life. And that we're part of that plan. So point number two. God's eternal plan. When we recall it, when we push click, pause in the heat of the moment, we're zoom out, see God's plan the way Joseph and Jeremiah did. That has a powerful healing effect, just like it did for Joseph. He was able to get to forgiveness with these brothers who had done amazingly wrong things to him because he saw God's plan. All right, last point. You know what it's important to understand? Joseph didn't get to the point overnight where he could push, click, pause, (laughs) whir, zoom out in the heat of the moment. You know why we know that? If you dig back into Joseph's story, Go back in the book of Genesis, and I can, I'll encourage you to, to read from about Genesis 34, 35 on up to 50. You'll hear this story of Joseph. There's this huge famine, and Joseph's brothers come to Egypt. Now, this is after they have sold Joseph into Egypt, but before what we're reading today, a number of years before what we're reading today. So they come to Egypt. They're hungry. Their father, Jacob, has said, we hear there's food in Egypt. Go find some food for us. They go there. 
And Joseph, who, as I mentioned earlier, is in charge of the whole famine relief program in Egypt, spots his brothers. But of course, he looks like an Egyptian now. He's, been, he's become completely indigenized. So they don't recognize him at all. Who would imagine that their brother would have gotten to be prime minister in that situation anyway, right? So Joseph starts toying with them in the heat of the moment for him. He has them arrested. He threatens them because he says, I think you guys are not here for food. I think you're spies. That's what you are. And they tell this story about their father, Jacob, and their brother, Benjamin. He says, okay, all right. Let's see a little corroboration of that story then, right? I'm keeping one of your brothers here. You go back, bring me this brother, Benjamin, that you claim to have, and maybe we'll see whether or not you're spies. He is completely toying with them. As they go back, he's put all their money and their cups and everything back into the bag. The first night they're out there and they open up their bag and they go, oh my goodness, we gave these guys money for this grain and here's the money. They're going to think we're thieves on top of everything else. He's totally, totally playing with them to get a little revenge. Here's, here's, what, here's my point. You can read on through the details of the story. Joseph did not get to the point of pause, zoom out in one day. And none of us will. None of us can. Why not? Because we have the sinful nature in us. We're all sinful. And we are going to struggle with this. Even though I've told you about the pause and were and zoom out, guess what? We're still not at the one most important thing that you need to know. You know what it is? You need to know God's forgiveness. I need to know God's forgiveness and grace. You know, what the devil is going to tell you, what your sinful nature is going to tell you is, I just need to try harder. It's going to tell you if I feel guilty enough over these heat-of-the-moment decisions. It's going to tell you if I just push myself maybe to the limit, I'll get there, I'll figure out, push, were on my own. None of that works. And the longer we allow guilt and shame, and God's law and condemnation to drive and push us with a whip, the longer we're going to keep cycling back to poor heat-of-the-moment decisions. Because the law, guilt, condemnation, none of those can get us to where God wants us to be in our hearts. What gets us there is forgiveness. God's mercy, his love for us. All those times that Joseph slipped up were all times where he was able to go to God and hear God say, hey, don't you remember what I told your, your father Jacob and, and your, your, your grandfather Isaac and your great-grandfather Abraham? I told them that through their offspring, I will send a Savior. And this Savior, this Messiah will come and he will pay the penalty for the sins of the world. 
Now, Joseph didn't know, because he's an Old Testament person, that this Messiah would be named Jesus Christ. He didn't know all the details, but he knew the promise. He knew the plan, God's eternal plan, to send a Messiah, a Savior, someone who would one day come and be the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the entire world. God had promised Abraham all nations will be blessed through you. Through this descendant, this Savior, Joseph knew that. And when he came to God, he came to God, in essence, through Christ, the same as we do today. And he accessed God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness for all of those heat-of-the-moment decisions when he made poor choices. What's the one most important thing you need to know to override your emotions in the heat of the moment? It's pretty easy. God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's love for you, his child, that God sent his son Jesus into this world for the world and for you. And when you know that, that's what's going to give you the ability to keep cycling back to God for his strength, his will power. One of my, one of my absolute favorite passages is from the book of 2 Timothy. For God did not give us, notice the word give, God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but he gave us a, a spirit of power and of love, and of self-discipline. He gave that to you by giving you his grace and forgiveness. And that's why, as we started this series, remember what we read? Our emotions are not just something that come from within. They are fruits of the Spirit. When the Spirit takes hold and pushes the, the old man, the old Adam, the sinful flesh aside, this is what Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit, God's gift to you, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, those who belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. So here's our third point, our final point. Trust in God's gracious. Will you circle or underline or star that word gracious in that sentence? Trust in God's gracious plan for me is the single best way to override my emotions. Now, you're going to need some passages to help you remember that it's all about pause, click, zoom out, and remember God's eternal and gracious plan. Not scope in, but zoom out. I put a couple of passages in your notes that I want you to take home, memorize them, so that you're confident in God's plans for you. Notice what it says here, Psalm 33, 11, But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, 
the purposes of his heart through all generations. And in Proverbs 19.21, another great weapon. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God's purpose prevailed for Joseph, for Jeremiah. God's purpose prevailed for his world when he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And God's purpose will always prevail for you. Guys, you and I, we live in a society that is so reactive. And we can go along with the flow. The heat of the moment reactions, the pull of the trigger. And as I said at the very beginning, it's going to feel satisfying for just a moment. But there is a better way. Notice that Joseph never turned into an angry, bitter, grudge-holding person. And why not? Simple. He knew God's grace for him, and he saw God's eternal and gracious plan. Take a look at your next steps in the crosswalk. Are past emotional decisions still affecting you today? In just a moment, you're going to get a period to reflect. Maybe one thing you could do in your reflection time is take a moment and write down two things. Two past emotional decisions that you feel are still affecting you today. Maybe like Joseph, it's something where you could be holding a grudge and need to get to forgiveness and see God's grace. Second, rest. Not do, but rest. Rest and know that God has an eternal plan for you that is gracious and kind for you. And finally, meditate on and memorize Genesis 50, 20 and Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are good and gracious and kind to us. What an amazing God you are. And when we look at the life of Joseph we realize that your power can work powerfully in us as it did in Joseph. It didn't come naturally for Joseph because he was a sinner as we are. And yet, Lord, your spirit worked in his heart, worked in his heart so that he could push that pause button at times and zoom out and see your eternal plan. It worked in his heart so that he could see that he too, humbly, he needed forgiveness. And that in accessing that forgiveness and grace, then he could also pass it on to others like his brothers. Help us to be in that same place, Lord God, and help us to see Jesus every day, his awesome cross, his amazing resurrection as the core and the center and the strength of our lives and as the one thing we need to be able to override our emotions. Jesus, grace, mercy and peace. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.